Yeah, please be seated. Thanks to uh, Phil and the team. Thanks to Veronica also for sharing. Veronica will stick around for morning tea and her husband, Rory. So if you have any questions uh, to Veronica, make sure that you see her at morning tea. As Joan has mentioned, don't forget about the bookmarks. Oh, something flew out of my Bible. Uh, Bookmark. These are not only for yourself, but to hand on to somebody else. And so it's an encouragement there. And then I also need to say, encourage those who are here for the first time, you are most welcome. But where have you been? We've come to the end of Ruth, chapter 4. No, you're most welcome, but you're just going to get the end of the story. Pastor Jody will be sharing in two weeks' time, to let you know that. And Sarah is going to bring to us a music item, so you don't want to miss in two weeks' time. And then after that, I've been thinking about what should I do following because we've come to the end of Ruth. And I've tried to pick series or do series that perhaps you don't hear so much of, preach from the pulpit. And so I'm pretty well settled. I haven't yet confirmed, but I'm pretty much settled on doing some selective chapters out of Isaiah, out of Isaiah. Okay, we won't be able to do the whole book because we'd be here for years. So uh, just with every second week, see? So uh, if you want to get ahead, you might want to start reading the book of Isaiah. That's where I've pretty much settled on uh, for following Pastor Jody in two weeks' time. I'll just tell you a funny story happened this week. I was driving around Kedron area on Monday and I have to teach every second Saturday to ethnic students down at Logan. And so in two weeks' time, of course, Saturday week will be election polling day. And so I won't be able to vote on that day. It would make it fairly tight. And so I decided, well, on Monday, I'm close to the church on Gympie Road there. I'll call in and I'll vote now. So round about lunchtime, it was raining, if you remember, Monday. So I hopped out of my car with my umbrella. and didn't realise as I approached, went into the car park of the church there, they told me that the line-up to vote was 40 minutes, 40 minutes. But I decided, well, I'm here now. I've got my umbrella. I may as well wait in the line. And instead of just waiting, you know, I always like to talk to people. So I was talking to an older couple who were behind me I've never met before and asking them, you know, where did they live? And then they were saying that they wanted to get their voting over and done with. And the lady was saying, I hope we don't need to wait very long because she said, I can't stand, I can't stand for too long. And then after a few minutes, she'd ask me, she'd say, how much longer do you think? And I'd kind of go, well, if they told us 40 minutes, we've probably still got another half hour. And then 10 minutes later, she'd ask, and how much longer do you think we'll have? And I said, oh, probably 20 minutes. And then a man from the Electoral Commission came up and he spoke to the couple and they, he said, are you two okay? Are you all right? And she said to him, she said, I'm having really difficult a time standing here for so long. So he said, oh, oh, he said, that's okay. He said, I can move you to the front of the line. He said, come with me. And as they started to leave, I said, and I'm their son. <laughs> Got to take every opportunity, don't you? And he turned around, he said, well, you can come too, you can come too. Then I kind of felt a bit convicted, so I said, oh, no, I'm only joking, I'm only joking. And then the other couple who were behind me, they said, gee, you're so quick to think of these things. I said, well, you have to be these days, don't you? Well, then I was just about to go in and vote, vote and this older couple passed me by on their way out. So as they passed by, I said, see you at home, mum and dad. <laughs> ah, well, 
every opportunity. Well, we come to the last chapter, Ruth chapter 4. I hope you've, well, I know you've been enjoying it because so many of you have come up and shared with me about how much you're enjoying Ruth. Particularly, I like this, this service because we can go a little bit deeper into the text than perhaps what we can in a normal Sunday service. So we've looked at, been looking at fairly in fairly detail, and uh, so that's what we'll continue to do this morning. So we're Ruth chapter 4, Ruth chapter 4. No sooner had Boaz gone up to the gate and sat down there than the next of kin of whom Boaz had spoken came passing by. So Boaz said, come over, friend, sit down here. And he went over and sat down. And then Boaz took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. He then said to the next of kin, Naomi, who has come from the back, back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our kinsman Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you redeem it, redeem it, but if you will not, tell me so that I may know, for there is no one prior to you to redeem it, and I come after you. So he said, I will redeem it. Oh, imagine Boaz's thought in that moment, right? You know what we looked at, chapter 3. He's thinking, oh, broken heart, broken heart. Then Boaz said, hmm, well, the day you acquire the field from the hand of Naomi, you are also acquiring Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead man, to maintain the dead man's name on his inheritance. Wow. Wow. Now, suddenly everything turns good for Boaz. At this, he said, I cannot redeem it for myself without damaging my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Big smile on Boaz's uh, face. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one took off a sandal and gave it to the other. This was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the next of kin said to Boaz, acquire it for yourself, he took off his sandal. And then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have acquired from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilian and Marlon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, bigger smile on his face, the wife of Marlon, to be my wife, to maintain the dead man's name on his inheritance in order that the name of the dead may not be cut off from his kindred and from the gate of his native place, today you are witnesses. Then all the people who were at the gate, along with the elders, said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you produce children in Ephrathah and bestow a name in Bethlehem. And through the children that the Lord will give you by this young woman, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And when they came together, the Lord made her conceive, and she bore a son. And then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without next of kin, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. 
for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her bosom and became his nurse. The women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the descendants of Perez. Perez became the father of Hezron, Hezron of Ram, Ram of Aminadab, Aminadab of Nashon, Nashon of Salmon, Salmon of Boaz, Boaz of Obed, Obed of Jesse, Jesse of David. The theme, of course, this morning is redemption. Now, redemption is not a word particularly that we would often use in our vocabulary, but the word redeem, the word redeem is the word that we do often use. Its definition meaning is this, the action of regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for payment or clearing a debt. Now, if we move into the spiritual realm, its definition is this. This is the word redeem. The action of saving or being saved from sin, error or evil. Now, we know what it is to redeem, don't we? We're encouraged all the time. Frequent flyer points. Redeem your frequent flyer points. Get that flight a little bit cheaper. We may have failed something in the past and we say of ourselves I'm going to try again I'm going to succeed I'm going to redeem myself Brisbane Broncos are trying to do that this season (laughs) bottom of the ladder last year wow who, who would have thought that they might end up in the top eight right they're trying to redeem themselves their name their club's name we might have a voucher for a coffee shop and so You know, you have to buy six coffees or something and then you take along and you get the seventh one free. I was up the coast. I'm sure he won't mind me telling this story. I was up the coast a couple of years ago staying at Caloundra and Ivan Bowden gave me a call. He said, Neil, I'd like like to catch up with you. I said, okay, yeah, that'd be fine. What time suits you? He said, what about tomorrow? Tomorrow afternoon, two o'clock? He said, we'll go out and we'll have a coffee together. So I thought, well, that's fair enough. That's okay. Now, remembering this is December, right? And remembering it's about 34, 35 degrees. And so Ivan met me at the unit, and the two of us started to walk down the main street of Caloundra. Now, I didn't know where he was taking me, right? But we seemed to pass coffee shop, coffee shop, coffee shop, coffee shop. And I'm thinking, why are we passing so many? Like, that one looks all right. That one looks all right. We ended up down the lower end of Bullcock Beach there, if you know Caloundra well. And so, as we're walking into the coffee shop, I said to Ivan, we've passed so many coffee shops to get here. Why have we come here? And he pulled out the little card and he said, (laughs) he said, Neil, I get one free when I buy one here. What coffee would you like? It was 34 degrees, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I said, I'll have a vanilla milkshake. (laughs) No, no, you can't have a milkshake. You must have a coffee. I've got to use my card. I don't want a coffee. It's too hot. You must have a coffee. I don't want a coffee. I'll pay for the milkshake, I said. I just cannot drink coffee this late in the afternoon and it's too hot. Well, 
Maybe he's been able to use the card somewhere else. I'm not sure. Chapter 4, chapter 4 of Ruth. There's just a quick summary. If we have a look of where we've been, redemption, of course, is our theme. Chapter 1, that extraordinary statement by Ruth, who is the daughter-in-law of Naomi, who says, who makes this statement, she says, wherever you go, I will go. Your people shall be my people. And then, of course, remembering that she's a foreigner, she's from Moab, right? She says, and your God will be my God willing to throw in her lot with Yahweh, with the living God. Chapter 2, he looked at the amazing grace of Boaz, who says to her as Ruth goes to work in the fields and gleaning in the fields and is able to take more than anybody else and to work behind those gentlemen who are working at the time and take home even more for Naomi as well. And so Ruth's response to Boaz is this, why have I found grace in your eyes? You have recognised the unrecognised. Then chapter 3 was providence. We looked at two weeks ago where Boaz went above and beyond. Ruth comes to him, uh, you know, saying, really, I want to marry you. And Boaz sends her home with some, something around 23, 27, 40 kilos of grain for a mother-in-law. Extraordinary. So this is the theme now, is the theme of redemption. The theme of redemption. Where Boaz becomes the kinsman redeemer, both for Naomi and for Ruth. If you're a widow... God has a heart, a special place for you. God cares for widows. God had established a unique plan, a unique plan sorry, in Israel for widows, the opportunity for them, a kinsman redeemer might be able to bless them in their lives. If a woman was widowed, Instead of being left to survive by herself, and of course no welfare system in those days like we enjoy today, the Lord had established that the next of kin was the person to have the first opportunity to buy a block of land if the deceased husband, obviously passed on, right, and that the widow had to sell it because now she was living in poverty, so that this next of kin might have the opportunity to have first option on buying this block of land and, if necessary, marry her. A Hebrew woman may have been in the position to sell the property, as I've mentioned, because of poverty. If she had no son, of course, the piece of land would pass down to him first of all, but if she didn't have a son then the nearest relative was given the first option. So he would buy it back. He would redeem it to keep it in the family and to keep the name of the family. So just again, right, if someone died not having a son alive, then the relative, the nearest relative, may purchase that property and also marry the widow. Now, if he refused, then the next option was given to the next person in line. So the chapter, the chapter begins here with Boaz going down to the city gate, which is the place where all the legal transactions were taking place. And he calls alongside of him ten elders to witness 
what is about to, to occur. And although it's just kind of mentioned in Scripture, right? Think of the Lord's timing. It just so happened that the next relative comes passing by as Boaz is sitting there waiting for him and he has these ten elders as well. And so this man appears. Now it's really interesting in scripture because he's actually a bit of a mystery figure. We don't know too much about him. And in Hebrew, the definition of this man is this. I like this. Mr. So-and-so. That's what it is in Hebrew. Mr. So-and-so. Like, you know, let's not spend too much time on him. He's just going to come into the story and then he's going to move out, fade uh, 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 fade away well we know the situation Naomi had returned after spending 10 years in, in Moab however during those 10 years her husband had passed away her two sons had married and then they ended up passing away also and only one of her daughters-in-law Ruth had made the decision that she would go back with her mother-in-law back to Bethlehem and live in that country But it seems as if Elimelech, Naomi's husband, who, of course, had passed away, had a block of land there, and now perhaps Naomi and Ruth are thinking, how are we going to survive? We're going to need to put this block of land up for sale. So, of course, first offer must be given to the closest relative of of Elimelech. Now, it's probable that the reason why Naomi had to put the block of land up for sale is that when she came back into the land of Judah, that planting time was over and harvest time was now beginning. See, she would make no money from that land. She had missed out on the planting season. Well, Mr. So-and-so, he, of course, is interested And when he first made this offer, he goes, yeah, I will. I'll purchase that block of land in spite of the cost. I can make something of this. I can plant something out there. In next year's harvest, I shall be able to reap some money. But, as in life, things are never so simple, are they? The further obligation put onto him was that he must marry Ruth in the process. Ruth came with the property. The reason, of course, being that is from the marriage, it would be hoped that a son would be born and then he would end up inheriting the land. So Mr. So-and-so in the process would in fact raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. In those days, it was considered one of the greatest tragedies if a couple were unable to have a son. It meant that the father's property could not be inherited and that it would most likely be sold to another family member. So the only way then of keeping it in the family was if somebody in the extended family was able to purchase it, allowing for the man's name, Elimelech, allowing for his name to go on. Three things we can see from verse 5. Three things. We see here that the issue of the Leverite marriage was actually secondary. While the kinsman redeemer was not obligated to purchase the land, if he did, he was also obligated to marriage. 
we also see that when, when Elimelech died, the land passed to his son, Marlon. But of course, he's passed away also, so then it goes to the widow, widow Ruth. She was now part of the redemption responsibility and the re property would go to any son born to her. Now, strictly speaking, what's occurring here is outside of the Levite marriage told for us in Deuteronomy chapter 25. There it says, only when brothers who are living together, if one of them dies, then the other brother becomes the kinsman redeemer. The obligation related specifically to brothers and doesn't mention anything about distant relatives. The Levite law was in effect only when no son had been born to the deceased person. So what's occurring here is taking something and extending it, taking it further than what the law had actually proclaimed in Deuteronomy 25. Well, of course, it ended up being to Boaz's great advantage, didn't it? That Mr. So-and-so... While he was interested in the land, he wasn't interested in marrying Ruth. Well, why is that? Well, number one, perhaps he wasn't rich enough to buy the block of land and also be a support to Ruth also. Maybe the cost of caring for Ruth and any children born to her would be too great for him. The first son born to Ruth would eventually become the one who inherits the block of land because he is the actual heir of Elimelech. So in fact, if Mr. So-and-so buys this block of land, he's not actually possessing it, he's only keeping it in trust until the son is born and then the land passes to him. The kinsman would then end up losing the property and the investment he has made. The firstborn son born to Ruth would not only inherit the property, but also, I found this interesting, also now because he is a son, right, of born of Mr. So-and-so, he is now eligible to inherit also part of everything that Mr. So-and-so owns when Mr. So-and-so passes away. And so Mr. So-and-so's children that he has now end up with a lesser part or portion than they currently have. So obviously Mr. So-and-so has thought about this. This isn't good. This isn't good. A block of land, that's great. Marrying Ruth, that's not so good. Not so good for me because I'm only keeping it in trust if a child is born. Not so good for my sons, who perhaps currently alive, they end up with less when I pass away. So he passes. He passes on Ruth. Well, of course, Boaz. This is what he's hoped for, isn't it? This mighty man in Israel, this man of great authority, mighty in spirit, blameless in reputation, now has the opportunity to take Ruth, a foreigner, as his wife. Remembering that she's referred to herself as being lower than a slave, 
a person who has no stature in Israel because she's not an Israelite and who had previously humbled herself and requested to Boaz that he might marry her. Well, the custom at the time, but no longer the custom when the book of Ruth was written, was this. When a transaction occurred, a man was to take off his shoe and give it to another man. Imagine all these men in their wardrobes having all these just one shoes, right, of all the transactions they've made over the years. It's quite a strange transaction, isn't it? It comes from Genesis chapter 13, remember, when Abraham comes into the promised land and the Lord says to Abraham, wherever you put your foot, that land is yours. That land is yours. And that promise is also repeated to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1 verse 3. So... Mr. So-and-so takes off his shoe. First thing now, he's got to go to the shoe shop and buy another pair of shoes, right? This is a symbol of the transfer now that has moved across to Boaz. Mr. So-and-so is now released from his obligations. Boaz has the opportunity to purchase the right of redemption. Mr. So-and-so now disappears from the story. He's relinquished his rights. And of course, if anybody challenged Boaz, what gives you the right to have that block of land? What does he do? Zips back home, opens the wardrobe door, gets a shoe out, right? Look, here it is. And by the way, I have 10 witnesses also. It's now in the passage that Ruth's former husband, Marlon, is mentioned. Marlon's brother Killian didn't have any sons before he died and so his name died with him. And three blessings, three blessings are declared. First of all, we have the blessing upon Ruth. As Rachel and Leah years before had built the house of Israel, so may now Ruth build the house of Boaz. There was a blessing upon Boaz also. May his name be well established through this marriage to Ruth. And I like this. And may she have a host of worthy sons. Wow, sounds like Tim Hannah, doesn't it? Right? Kids, kids in abundance. May the house of Boaz be like the house of Perez. Perez was born as a result of a Levite marriage. He was the son of Judah from whom Boaz had descended. And so through this now, we're actually keeping the clan alive, the clan of Paris, a clan clan that had settled in Bethlehem. So it not only has like uh, close uh, relationships, but extends also to the clan as well. Well, Boaz and Ruth marry, she becomes his wife, And the Hebrew word here is used in the positive, the positive connotation rather than the negative that we'd seen previously. Thinking back, when I was thinking about this chapter uh, early on this week, I was thinking how how much life, Ruth's life has changed. Chapter 2, she comes as a foreigner probably thinking to herself, I'll I'll never get married. No man will be interested in me. My job now is to look after my mother-in-law. We saw in chapter 2 also that she considered herself being lower than a lowest servant. She was willing to do any task 
so that the two of them might survive. Chapter 3, she refers to herself as a maidservant. And now in chapter 4, she becomes a man's wife. It also struck me, and I wonder if it struck you about this story. Chapter 1, Naomi and Elimelech do what is wrong. They leave Judah and they go down to Moab and they end up spending at least 10 years there. But look at the grace of the Lord. When we do something wrong, the Lord does not cast us aside. In fact, he still has blessings for us. He will wait and he will wait and he will wait until we come back and we're back in the place where we should be. And then it's as if the Lord opens the gates of heaven and he says, I've been waiting. I've been waiting to bless you, to bless you. No matter what we've done in our lives, no matter what we've done, the Lord has the stores of heaven ready to be opened, blessings in abundance. That's what I take from this book. Well, at least 10 years of barrenness had now come to an end and a son was born. The son born was to be the redeemer because he someday would now redeem all of Naomi's possessions. This is the only time in scripture where we read of a child becoming a redeemer. He would be the one also, who would actually be, in fact, the son of Naomi and would take away, although he was technically the grandson, and would take away the reproach of Naomi, who was presently childless. He was the one who were told that in Naomi's old age, he would comfort her, that is his grandmother. He would be a restorer to life. In the bitterness that Naomi had experienced in Moab, now life would be restored to her. And he, was, he would be the one who would ensure that the family line would continue. Well, like most women, always excited about the birth of a child, aren't they? The women of Bethlehem were over the moon. Wow, Ruth's pregnant and she's just given birth. She is better than seven sons. That's extraordinary. When we think about it, right, she's a foreigner. And in those days, sons were of much more importance than daughters. But now the women of Bethlehem say, she's amazing. She's incredible. This shows the respect that she's earned in the town after just being there for just a few months. It seems strange to us, but maybe it was the culture of the day. The women then go and get this young boy from the home of Boaz and Ruth and take him to his grandmother, Naomi. She holds him close to her chest. She becomes like a guardian or nanny. She doesn't adopt the boy, but she has a very close and ongoing contact with him. It appears in the text, and this, was, this is the bit that I just find a little bit strange. But anyway, it is how it is what it is, isn't it? Naomi ends up raising the boy as if he was her own. 
strange, really strange. She acts as a de facto mother. But it seems to be, even in this situation, that Ruth has given to her mother-in-law something that is so precious to her and saying to her mother-in-law, here is my gift to you. Will you raise my child? The son, perhaps in some kind of sense, replaces the two sons that had died from Naomi. By Ruth's loving initiative, Naomi now becomes a foster mother. Strange too, that perhaps in those days it was the women of the town who named children. He's given the name Obed. It means the serving one. And he would end up serving his grandmother and looking after her in her old age. When he was an older teenager, he would care for her. And lastly, we finish the book of Ruth just with those last couple of statements with a list of Obed's descendants, which actually fills in the gap for us because nowhere in 1 Samuel do we read of who was David's grandfather. And so here we read that Obed, Obed the grandfather, then Jesse, if you know, 1 Samuel chapter 16, and then King David, King David. Well, the theme is about redemption. In fact, the whole book is about redemption, isn't it? Redeeming, taking back, buying. In Scripture, in the Old Testament, God is proclaimed as our Redeemer in the Old Testament, but when we move into the New Testament, the person that becomes our Redeemer is Christ, is Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. Remembering not only his work enables redemption for us, but he actually, he actually, the person of Christ, is our redeemer. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. Christ has become for us wisdom, has become for us wisdom from God, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. And redemption. So we hold these two things together. His work enables us to be redeemed and he is in himself our redemption. Jesus did what we could never do. He comes to our aid to give us what rightfully should be ours but was stolen from us when Adam and Eve sinned in that garden and that is eternal life. And Christ comes to you and me and says, here I am, I am offering it to you. I am the one who is your redeemer. I have redeemed you. Wonderful. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. How did he do it? By giving himself for you and for me. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In him. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. His blood shed for you and me that we might know the forgiveness of all of our sin, past, present, future. Colossians chapter 1 verse 14. In Christ we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 
How is this done? 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. We know that we are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from the empty way of life handed down from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish or defect. Only the blood of Jesus, only the blood of Jesus satisfies God and that he may now offer to us eternal life in Christ. Titus 2.14, Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, lawlessness and to purify himself a people that are his very own. So what are we redeemed from? Slavery, bondage, Satan, the law, wickedness, lawlessness, our former way of life, a meaningless, meaningless life. How are we redeemed? By the precious blood of our Saviour Jesus. And what are we redeemed to? Purity. Purity. Once slaves, once held captive, we are now free. For if the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. Now, that's, most of that is past, but can presently influence and impact our lives today. But there's also a future aspect to redemption. I visited one of the members of the congregation this week, and he was in bed 11 o'clock, uh, 10 o'clock on Monday morning, and told me he'd probably spend most of the day in bed. His body was breaking down. He's tired. What's the promise the Lord holds out for you and me? Romans 8, 23. We wait eagerly for the redemption of the body. Oh, isn't that a good word? My poor old mum who passed away with rheumatoid arthritis. So much pain. In her, she couldn't get out of bed in those last couple of weeks. She said, it's as if little men are inside of me, hammering every joint in my body. But now she has a new body. There is no pain. There is no pain. Ephesians 1.14, the Holy Spirit is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of God's possession. We believe is in Christ. There's the promise. One day we will be possessed by God. We will be totally belonging to Him. What a day that will be. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, this book is a book of hope. Lord, a book that does inspire us. Lord, how you take people, Lord, who who go against your way or go against your will, but you do not shut up the doors of heaven and of blessing from them for the rest of their lives. You just wait and you wait and you wait and they come back into that place and there, Lord, you open up the doors and there is blessing, blessing in abundance. You have recognised the unrecognised. And Lord, of each of us this morning, we can say that. In the eyes of the world, Lord, we're the unrecognised, but that doesn't matter because you recognise us.
And in Christ, in Christ, we have a redeemer. In Christ, Lord, we are redeemed from all that is horrible, law and Satan and death. You set us free. You set us free to purity, to holiness, to a life that has purpose. And for that, we give you our thanks, Lord. In this song that we're about to sing, Lord, may we sing it with all of our heart for what and what you will do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Our last song is about our Redeemer. The words of the chorus say, Our chains are gone, our debt is paid. The cross has overthrown the grave. For Jesus' blood that sets us free means death to death and life for me. Let's sing it together.
Live in peace and the God of love and peace will be with you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. Amen. Let's enjoy some morning tea together. Don't forget to speak to Veronica if you have time and uh, just be careful with the uh, wet and the rain.